This podcast is brought to you by the Mountain West News Bureau with support from America Amplified, a community engagement journalism project. This trip begins as most trips do at home. It's early morning in late August, and I've packed and repacked all of my bags. I'll meet you down there. Okay. My partner Christine is sipping coffee and watching me. Oh, when did you get this frame bag? I picked it up yesterday, last minute. At REI? Uh huh. No, at Bicycle Works. I'm having a hard time keeping good conversation. Too focused on whether my knee will give out on this road trip or whether I'll get scared and quit halfway through. I'm a bundle of nerves. But it also allows me to carry all of my, my shit. My, uh, all my recording stuff's in there. It's not like I'm a stranger to traveling. I work as a journalist and I'm on the road a lot, but this trip is different. I'm not gonna have a lot of clean clothes, I'll be sleeping in a tent, and my vehicle doesn't have a parking brake. It's got a kickstand. That's right, I'm riding a bicycle, about 900 miles along the Continental Divide, interviewing as many people as I can about what's happening in America and the rural West these days. My name is Nate Hedgie, and I work for the Mountain West News Bureau. Like a lot of us, I've been stuck at home, doing interviews over the phone, watching the news unfold all day, every day on my smartphone. Portland is on edge as supporters of President Trump plan a Labor Day Thank you for demonstration. Joining us tonight, the United States has reached yet another devastating and unthinkable moment in a It's exhausting. A cacophony of doom and gloom. And lately, I've been feeling disconnected from what's happening on the ground. So I decided to hit the road. I figure riding a bicycle, moving at 10 miles per hour, lets me meet more people. It's like I'm traveling on horseback, the way we did for centuries through this wild, rugged landscape. My route is going to take me through some pretty rural towns. There was a mantra after 2016 that nobody was listening to rural America. Well, over the next few weeks, I'll be listening. And I hope you'll join me. So grab your helmet, saddle up, and get ready for the ride. Because you're listening to our brand new podcast, Facing West. Our first season is called Across the Great Divide. I remember political conversations at the table, and my mom had a different view than my dad, and at the end of the night, they'd still kiss, you know? In this inaugural episode, the word divide is front and center. I just don't see that happen anymore. It's like it ends up in bloodshed. I'm bicycling through the high desert heat of central Idaho. My lips are chapped, my nose is sunburnt, and my butt is really, really sore. It's been about a week since I left my home in Missoula, Montana, and I've ridden a couple hundred miles so far through forests and along rivers, but now I'm on a highway in Idaho's Lemhi Valley, trying to climb a hill. 
The sun is beating down, sweats pouring from my forehead. But eventually, finally, I get to the top. And up here along a fence line, I spot this little plastic American flag. It's blowing in the wind. Faded from the sun, tattered, the stars and stripes barely visible. And it reminds me a lot of our country right now. It's ragged and frayed. And even out here in the rural West, which we think of as hardcore Trump country, there are divides. And there hasn't been a mess like this since before the Civil War. That's Dave. I met him earlier this morning, hanging out in front of the post office in Ledore, Idaho. It's a former mining town, and he's lived there for about 25 years. Well, it's small, it's remote. And he says it's always felt close-knit. It's the kind of town where everybody knows everybody. They all suffer through the same snowstorms, the same power outages, and that creates a kinship. We're back to that business of even if we hate each other politically, we're going to help each other when the chips are down because we all know we're in this together and it's like a, a really disjointed family kind of a thing. But lately, that kinship is unraveling. For instance, Dave says he's one of the only guys in Ledor who takes the pandemic seriously. Other people say it's just a flu. It's just the flu. Well, it may be the flu, but there are an awful lot of people that are dying from it, and that concerns me. Dave is older and more vulnerable to the ravages of the novel coronavirus. He's also one of the few people in Ledor wearing a mask, and that really frustrates him. It sure is ridiculous that we've got political divisiveness based on uh, uh, a public health emergency. I mean, you know, I've actually had people talk about, yeah, wearing a mask, uh, you're showing disrespect for the president. What is wrong with you? That said, Dave doesn't really like the president, and that puts him in the minority in this tiny community. In 2016, only nine people here voted for Clinton. Nearly 130 voted for Trump. There is no one here in this area and virtually in this county that is not a Trump supporter, either to a greater or lesser degree. And I have to be honest, I don't understand that. He does not represent the values of the people that are out here. And anyone that thinks that a billionaire is the friend of the common man is pretty much short-sighted. But saying that out loud has chaffed some people here. After our interview, for instance, a guy shows up in a beat-up pickup truck. He walks into the post office. Dave says hi, but the guy completely ignores him. And that's why Dave only gives me his first name. He's worried that people might hear this interview and maybe they'll stop being so nice during a snowstorm or a power outage. Because he's an outlier in a sea of Trump supporters. This place could not be more Trump if everyone was flying a blue Trump 2020 flag. I've seen those blue Trump flags everywhere too. In windows, in front yards, flying from the backs of pickup trucks. This is definitely Trump country. And I've never seen this much excitement in the rural West for any politician in my lifetime. And I want to talk to a Trump supporter. But here I am, a reporter, in spandex, riding a bicycle down a lonely highway. And let's be honest, Trump and his many supporters aren't fans of the media. We are the enemy of the people. Fake news. 
but I make it my goal anyways. The next time I see a big Trump flag, I'm going to interview the guy who's flying it. It's a bitterly cold morning just outside of Dubois, Wyoming, and I'm all bundled up, wearing gloves and long johns over my spandex. I've got a long day of cycling ahead, 65 miles through Red Rock Desert and high sagebrush plains. I'm looking forward to the quiet. But as I'm rounding a bend in the highway, I start seeing these signs and flags for Trump. One says, Veterans for Trump. Another says, Hunters for Trump. And then there's this photoshopped picture of the president riding a Harley, and it says bikers for Trump. Your name, uh, where you live, and the kind of work that you The man behind these signs? Ben Barto, uh, Dubois, Wyoming, and I'm an artist. Barto lives on this highway next to a river, and he designed all these Trump posters. He also makes these handmade antler knives, and he was born and raised in Wyoming. What do you, what do you like about out here? The freedom. Freedom, hunting, fishing, lack of people. And so let's talk about, um, obviously, you've got, um, you know, flags uh, with Trump 2020 and everything else like that. I imagine you're a pretty avid supporter of the president. What, did it, what is it about the president that spurred you to not only support him, but to, you know, have prints on your truck and flags outside of your business and everything else like that? Uh, he's the first president that has not been a politician in a long time. And so explain that. Well, the, the politicians, uh, you know, they're part of the swamp that's been created as the politicians that have been there, career politicians for years. And, and Donald Trump can't be bought, you know. Uh, he's not a career politician. He's a businessman. That's why he's turned the economy around, and that's why the people love him. Now, I've heard this argument before on this trip. Trump's a businessman, not a politician. It's like a course to a song that gets stuck in your head. I also hear about how the Democrats want to enact socialism and take away people's guns, that they are the party of evil. Democrats used to be pro-America. They're not now. They hate America now. And here's the interesting thing. Bardo actually grew up in a Democratic household, but he says the party lost him. It's become too liberal. It hates America. I asked Bardo where he hears all this stuff. Uh, Fox News. Fox News. A lot of people watch it out here. And it's interesting. That channel uses the word hate five times more often than the other news networks. As in, the Democrats hate America. The media hates Trump. And Bardo, like a handful of other people I meet on this trip, he thinks it's all going to end in revolution. You think so? I do. I think it's headed there. You know, the people are now waking up. They're tired of seeing what's going on in these, the cities burning under Democratic rule. Uh, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, they aren't the only ones that that matter. The Black Lives Matter is the most racist, progressive movement out there. And they're the, you know, the cause of of the destruction that's going on right now. I want to talk to you about a theory I've been having on the road. Um, I have this idea that there are a million different Americas. That's something I've, I've been experiencing um, just talking with people, right? We each have our own perspectives and we we know the America, you know, in our community, in our town, and everything else like that. And sometimes I think that um, uh, there'll be some progressive urbanites that have no idea why someone like yourself would support Trump and would want limited government and everything else like that. At the same time, I think there's, you know, uh, certain rural conservatives that might not understand why 
there would be people advocating uh, that Black Lives Matter. Maybe we misunderstand each other and we misunderstand our experiences. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I think if we all sat down at a table, everybody would realize how much they have in common with each other. And it's just working to that common, the common ground. And how do we do that? Because I wonder sometimes if when our connections are based on what we see on the news media or what we read on the internet or things like that, that we lose that connection. I mean, how are, are there ways that we can better understand each other? Yeah, get rid of most of the media. You know, that, that's the problem. They're fueling this whole thing. Get rid of the fake news. Um, I was watching a, 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 a football coach on, on TV this morning that was saying that he wished everybody would get back to the locker room mentality, you know, where you have so many different people that are in a locker room from different parts of the country, and their common goal is to win. And they put all their other barriers and all their other preconceived notions aside, and they work as a team. And so talking about that, coming together to work as a team, and speaking about how I think we do have more in common as people in America, right, than, than we give ourselves credit for. And, and But at the same time, you said that you could see this country coming to revolution. Do you really think that would happen if we do have more in common than, than yeah. why? Because they've pushed us to the point. You know, you can see it in cities all over. I mean, you can't even go to an outside cafe without having some of these nutballs come up and harass you. The conservative never come up. You don't see us out there rioting. You don't see us looting. You know, we expose, ex, express our point of view, but we don't take it to that physical burn down uh, thug mentality of rob, steal, burn, looting. This country is fed up with it. I feel like our conversation is going around in circles. On one hand, Bardo is telling me we all need to come together. We have common ground. I mean, heck, he's even got friends here in Dubois who are liberal. We get along with them. You know, we don't hate them. We don't. They're still our friends, you know. But on the other hand, he's gearing up for a revolution. He thinks the country is ready to explode. I ask him if he's experienced any of this violence or anger firsthand. Not here in Wyoming. I mean, because people pretty much know, uh, well, Wyoming has the highest amount of weapons per capita than any place else in the country. So we're not going to get a bunch of those, you know, extremists coming here because they know we won't stand for it here. So we don't see much of it here, but we sure hear of it going on everywhere else. But here's the thing. Everywhere else is hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. I mean, we're in the middle of Wyoming. Bardo only experiences this violence on television, on Fox News. Later, as I'm cycling away, I imagine people like Ben Bardo shooting shotgun slugs into the desert darkness, yelling at ghosts that don't exist. America is pretty haunted these days. There are a lot of boogeymen out there. And they're scaring people. Take Jesus Archuleta. You've come a long way already. Yeah, my knee hurts. I meet him a few <laughs> days down the road in Rollins, Wyoming. It's, it's, it's definitely it's good to have a rest day. Um, Jesus actually goes by the nickname Eddie. And when he's not working as a plumber, he loves fixing up old cars. He's hanging out next to a green Chevy from the 1930s. 
that's a pretty good old car and I I just like to get them and sometimes I want to just get them and turn them into uh, just an old um, rat like a rat rod and ride them for a while and then to flip them somebody wants it money talks you know yeah so. he's lived in Rollins for most of his life it's an oil town so he loves that President Trump champions fossil fuels and just like Ben Bardo He's also worried about the protesters in big cities. I think, personally myself, I think they're a terrorist group. And if Trump gets reelected, he wants him to clean house. And uh, I'm not saying annihilate him, I said, but stop him. Treat him like a terrorist group and get him out of there. You know, and that's, you know, and make him pay for what they're doing. You know, if they're destroying people's homes and buildings and burning everything down, I think they should pay. I ask him if he understands why people in cities might protest police violence. Well, most of the people that protest aren't people from them cities. They're, like I said, they're hired by these lefties. I, I'm going to say lefties. I want to, I really don't want to. But anyway, they're hired by these people that have all these big bucks going in there in cities to destroy them. Where did, where did you hear that? On the media. You see them. They catch them. You see them in the media. They go down, they bring them in on buses. You know, they bring them in on buses to come in and protest. Do you, do you get your news from, like, um, where do you get your news from? Social media or...? or? Mostly I, uh, Fox News and uh, watching TV and, you know, uh, Facebook. But uh, TV, like you said, you know, all over. But you see them guys coming through and you see them getting off the buses and some of the pictures, you know. I mean, a person's not even safe to go into town and uh, without somebody coming to tip your car over and break the windows. What he's saying isn't true, by the way. These rumors that paid activists or members of the loose anti-fascist movement Antifa are coming to towns and cities by the busload have been widely debunked. Still, the rumors survive in the echo chamber of social media, fueling this fear. Because remember, there are boogeymen haunting America. Ghosts created on Facebook, on Fox News, and even by the president himself. Does anybody want to have somebody from Antifa as a member and as a resident of your suburb. I don't think so too much. Say, darling, who moved in next door? Oh, it's a resident of Antifa. No, thank you. Let's get out of here. Let's get the hell out of here, darling. Let's leave our suburbs. This might just be a political tactic for a president seeking re-election, a way to drum up fear and thus support. But these boogeymen are becoming more and more real for some people in this part of the rural West. And that worries Talon Lang. He lives in Montana's conservative Bitterroot Valley. I met him and his two cute dogs on the first day of my trip. Hello, Monroe. How are you, little puppy? What's her name? Her name's Monroe. Monroe? Yep. She's five, and Stella will be 12 in November. Hey, Stella. Lang's 46, a former Marine, and he runs a medical marijuana dispensary. It's got a quaint, old west vibe, and that's by design. I wanted your uh, very conservative grandmother to be able to walk into this store and feel comfortable. Lang walks an interesting line. I mean, on one side, he's trying to make a living selling marijuana to pretty conservative locals. But on the other side, he gets really frustrated by those same locals' politics. Lang's liberal, and he says his neighbors are getting brainwashed by Fox News and conservative talk radio. So they're not bad people, they're just horribly misled. But he worries that all this rhetoric is just getting worse. 
and it all scares him, especially when he hears stuff like this. You know, I need my guns to fight the government. And that's, that's a really interesting thing for me as a veteran, is that I swore an oath to my country when I joined the Marine Corps to defend it from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I have all of these people on the right who are saying that they need their guns to fight the government. But they don't realize that the instant that they take up arms against my government, they become insurgents. You know, they become the enemy of my country that I love, that I, you know, that I devoted four years of my life in the Marine Corps to, you know. And I believe that they think that they're on the side of right and that they're the heroes in this story. And, 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 and they're not. Um, and so that's a terrifying thing to realize that these guys really truly believe that once they start shooting at the government, that everybody else that's a veteran or everybody else that's a patriot is just going to join with them. And I'm not going to be one of them. I'm going to be one on the other side. And I don't want to have to start shooting at my neighbors. You know, that's, that's, that's not my idea of a good time. <laughs> Do you think that it'll really come to that? I think that we're seeing the violence getting worse and worse every day. There's like, there's fights in the bars. I check in with one of Lang's employees, Megan Henderson. She's 24, working the register. Henderson was born and raised here. She's worried that the pandemic is just making all of this polarization worse. It's creating a separation. So like if somebody's wearing a mask in a bar, which is appropriate for the times, it's a big deal, you know, like the regulars want to start fights because, you know, name calling and stuff. She says Lang sometimes DJs at one of the local bars. And like the people at the bar would go up to the bartender and be like, why is he here? You know, he's liberal, right? And it's like, that's ridiculous. Have you experienced that at all firsthand? Like as someone no, who's been leaning a little bit more? I'm lucky everybody's nice to me, but <laughs> I've seen it for sure. Yeah. And I've seen it too, talking with dozens of rural folks on this bicycle trip. There's this river between us, and it's getting wilder and more dangerous. Later, as I'm camping in the county fairgrounds near Lang's shop, I meet another veteran, Curtis Bunton. Uh, I was in the military for 20 years. But now he lives in the Bitterroot, teaching people how to drive truck and, in his spare time, riding his bicycle a lot. In fact, that's why he wandered over to my camp. He wanted to see my setup. I like to bicycle. I like to tour cycle. And he actually hosts travelers like me at his house. I have had over 500 cyclists and hikers from all over the world stay with me. And when you strip away the motors, when you strip away the politics, you strip the religion away, everybody, no matter where you're from, is the same. We all want the same thing, to be able to live our own life. And that's what frustrates him about America these days. He says we're losing empathy and huddling in our corners. There is no in-between. People have to find a middle ground and, and stop being so bullheaded and actually open their minds up and see the other person's point of view. Where, where, if you don't mind, where, where do your politics lie uh, in the political spectrum? Um, I refuse to take a political side because I prefer to go strictly on the issue. And both sides are unwilling to waver on any of their issues. So what issue then at a national stage is really important to you? Uh, national security. National security. Why is that? Uh, I've been over 26 different countries. I've been into these hostile environments in these poverty-stricken countries. And the way that we're going now, we're going to become one of them. 
with shutting everything down, collapsing the economy, and nobody knows what's going on. So we're just going to continue to create paranoia, I guess. So if, if everybody could get on the same page and finally figure something out and start progressing, and then we can get united as a country again, or we're going to get eaten up, I guess, or divided up. So you see echoes of what you saw. Where, where did you serve overseas? Uh, I was in Korea, uh, Desert Storm, uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iraq, and Europe. And so you see echoes of what's happening here that you saw over there. Yeah, just uh, you get you get a fracture and it's going to keep breaking until you fix it. A few days after this interview, I found myself on top of that hill in central Idaho, looking at that tattered, sad little American flag. The one that reminded me of our country. But its backdrop is a desert. A place that existed long before America even became a nation. And there are moments when I'm cycling through this landscape, or when I'm just standing in the wind, like I'm doing right now, where I lose sight of the divide, and I slip into this lower gear. Into a wilder, more rugged America. Surrounded by sagebrush, mountains, flattened rattlesnakes, and dead, rotting deer. And in that world, there are no boogeymen, no ghosts, just the wind. In our next episode, we're gonna explore one problem that actually bridges the divide. And that's gentrification. I know, maybe you're thinking that only happens in cities, but there are a lot of people moving into the rural west these days, and that's jacking up housing costs, bringing in new cultures, and shaking up the way of life out here. Growth is okay, but, but you don't want to create the same hell you left. So join me then. I'm Nate Hedgie with the Mountain West News Bureau. Our sound designer is Liza Yeager, Artwork by Luke Anderson, and the Mountain West News Bureau is a consortium of NPR member stations covering the region. Our partner stations include Wyoming Public Media, Boise State Public Radio in Idaho, KUNC in Colorado, KUNR in Nevada, KUNM in New Mexico, and the O'Connor Center for the Rocky Mountain West in Montana. Our managing editor is Kate Concannon. <laughs>